My name is Kara Romero, and I'm an enrolled member of the Chimwevi Indian tribe out in Mojave Desert, California. I'm a photographer, both commercial and fine art. And these days I'm making monumental fine art pieces um, that are representative of my editorial and photo documentary background. And they are a response to current events and issues in Indian country. Um, when you say editorial background, can you talk about what your first experiences were with um, photography in that respect? I think my very first experience with editorial also coincides with my very first moment that I fell in love with the medium. And I was um, at the University of Houston and I was doing black and white film and I was working under Bill Thomas, who is a world-renowned protest photographer. And uh, skill level didn't really matter, which was great because I'm not a super technical person. I'm more of an artist artist. And all of our pieces had to have content. And um, I lived in Montrose, which is the, the gay artsy area of Houston. And I had... Um, during that time, it was the mid-90s. Uh, a lot of neighbors that had AIDS and HIV. And we had this assignment to do a panoramic with content. And I used to take my neighbor to the grocery shop and things that he couldn't quite do because his health was failing. His name was Marty. And I had this coupon for a buy one lunch, get one free. <laughs> and I said, Marty, do you want to go have lunch with me? And he did. And at the same time, I had this assignment. And when we were having lunch, he pulled out his AIDS cocktail, which was like 30 pills that they took back in the 90s. And the whole restaurant stopped and just stared at us. And I remember having this like flush come over my face and uh, watched him take all of these pills and all of these like just pumping like thoughts and physiological things that were happening. and. As I thought about the assignment after we left for lunch, I asked Marty to recreate that for me. And we went to the restaurant and we did this panoramic of all the people that we had staged at that point, staring at him while he sat with his AIDS cocktail and kind of stared into the camera. Um, and I knocked it out of the park with the class. You know, it was definitely a panoramic with content, but it ended up being a billboard in Houston. And it was like one of my first student works. It was like hugely um, life-changing for me. And I just felt my first taste of blood with photography and what it could do. And I was like, wow, I can, I can really make a difference and I can really tell people's story and I can really have a social impact on things. And so that was actually my very first experience with editorial. And I really love taking portraits um, that say something about the person or who they are in society. And then over the years, that's translated to be really powerful in Indian country. We have so many portrait photographers, 
but I'm really trying to find that um, different thread about what their identity is. Tribal identity is such a elusive thing, you know, and so diverse within our cultures that um, a lot of my fine art editorial portraits, they come across as fine art, but they're really about that person. And so when you get into an idea um, and start kind of feeling like you need to get activated with your photography, how, how, do, you, how do you dive in? What, what's the first thing? Is it the person or is it like the social um, intensity that you work with? Um, well, lately, it could be one. One, it could be an aesthetic idea, and it starts from there. And I say, how can I turn this aesthetic idea into something more of consequence or something more important? How do I get the content into this aesthetic idea? And so I'll sit and I'll play with it and think about it. And my pieces take me months, you know, to really get to where they need to be. Um, usually it starts with the, the concept, mm. the idea, you know. Um, conversations that we're having around the house about cultural appropriation or women's sexuality in Indian art and what can be done and what can't be done um, plays on cultural appropriation and how to kind of flip that uh, conversation and always trying to empower us because we're always portrayed as kind of powerless, but I'm really trying to flip that because we're actually very strong and survivors and resilient and so I kind of try and um, flip that paradigm. And then with my latest one, it definitely started with, uh, with the concept, with the idea. And, and if you don't mind, what is your latest one? The new piece is about climate change. And uh, it has to do with the idea that um, indigenous peoples are um, impacted the worst and the most and um, um, in the highest percentages from from climate change and it's because we're in these really biodiverse hot spots and really wilderness areas and still living off of the land and in subsistence and undeveloped subsistence farming and undeveloped areas that as the water levels are rising and as we're having these extreme weather patterns and other strange happenings that it's affecting us first. And it's not something that people are paying attention to because we tend to also have marginalized voices. And uh, I first saw a flood scene um, in one of my favorite TV programs and I thought, that's it. I said that. That's it. it. It says so much to us uh, as Indians, and it had this impact on me content-wise that I couldn't get rid of, that I was like, it was just nagging at me, and it was about, wow, you know, not only does it have to do with climate change, it also has to do with this historical um, recurrence of being flooded out of our valleys and um, removed from our lands, and um, so it's both in the past and the present that I wanted to do this underwater shoot of Indians drowning, um, of Indians and the Great Flood, whether it was past or present or future. Um, and it talks to talks to the audience about the loss of biodiversity and that indigenous peoples are like the miners' canaries, and um, as 
we lose the health of our cultures, Mother Earth loses her health as well. So that's where the new piece is about. And um, all of the models that I worked with, I had never done an underwater shoot, so it was really <laughs> ambitious. Uh, it took me months to figure out how I was going to do it, everything from oh, wanting to shoot here at Cotiti Lake and not having the clarity and then figuring out that I had to have a tandem scuba diver because you can't like focus your camera like while you're floating <laughs> around and you know so uh it became a big puzzle to try and figure it out um but I think what's really wonderful about art is sometimes in my experience it seems like these things want to manifest themselves and so you look at these daunting things that you have to put together and these obstacles that you have to overcome and I just think magic happens and it's almost like things just fall into place and every phone call that I make for some help, you know, the artist community is really supportive. Um, people are really intrigued at the idea of helping artists, you know, so it all anyways ended up coming together and the models that I used were um, either historically impacted by floods or present day impacted by floods and so I ended up with a series of um, of natives being portrayed underwater you know that really spoke uh not just a cool aesthetic but really had that content that i'm always looking for and so have you shown these pieces yet or are you still working on them i'm like waiting to unveil them i just can't wait uh they're gonna <laughs> gonna uh, show at indian market this year here in santa fe and it's so funny, I'm just talking around the house. I'm like the person that can't stand to wait for people to open their presents. And I'm like, can I just release them now? Does it really have to wait till judging? You know, what, what are the pros and cons of releasing them now? <laughs> but essentially I have two weeks to wait and they're really beautiful and they're my favorite pieces so far. So I'm excited. You talk about um, having dialogue regarding art around the house. Can you talk about what your household context is in relationship to art? I guess first I would talk about community, and I find this artist community in Santa Fe and every city that I live in, I gravitate towards it because it, oh, it just straddles social um, backgrounds and racial backgrounds and it's really where I feel like I fit in and um, here in Santa Fe it was just like coming home to this big extended family and uh, I've married twice now both to artists and I'm an artist and so there's art in the house and my husband is a potter and a, a, an illustrator um, Diego is a uh, world famous and just a genius artist um, and so I'm really humbled to have him to lean on and learn from and bounce ideas off of. Um, my brother-in-law is Mateo Romero who was actually my teacher over a decade ago um, that really inspired me uh, through my 2D courses um, to draw and that so much of photography was based in drawing and I think that that's still a really strong foundation for me and perhaps something that sets me apart from other photographers is that they're based in illustration and I keep a sketchbook and I'm drawing, 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 you know, focusing in on composition and mm. all of those things and uh, Santiago. So I'm living with mostly uh, ceramic artists right now, I'm sure you can relate, <laughs> and uh, being a mom. And so yeah, Diego and I talk all day long about artwork and 
other people's artwork and critique and we have this great town to go around and look at art and flip through magazines and and just talk ideas and uh, it's been really beautiful um, we disagree with each other um, which sometimes lights the fire to make you really feel like you want to do something and prove them wrong mm-hmm. you know <laughs> um, you flesh out ideas about art uh, and you you learn things about yourself through that process um, and you find maybe truths you know um, maybe they're just art theory around the house but maybe they're truths to art you know and um, sometimes it's fun because you can really talk about art with your own people um, in a way that you wouldn't in a gallery setting you know you get really down and dirty and you probably say things that you wouldn't say publicly you know critique wise you know like, I would never repeat that around anybody except Diego you know or or if you have disagreements about people's art you know and what it means to you So what is the point at which your artwork starts? Where does your creative process begin? For me, a lot of times it has to do with looking to outside cultures and and finding like a universal theme of the human and saying, you know what, that speaks to us too. And we're not talking about that. Like we're not looking at ourselves as natives enough as humans yet, you know, and like that greater dialogue of just what is it to be human and perhaps be Indian at the same time, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of my artwork is starting there as opposed to starting at Indian, you know? And have you, have you shown in any context outside of like the indigenous community? Have, have you been in any galleries that aren't based around the fact that you're an indigenous artist? Um, Let's see. I showed in the UK, but that was at a native gallery, and I'd shown at different schools um, throughout the years. But no, most of my art now is based in that niche, and I find it important to myself to stay there in that niche because, um, because the artwork is really important to what I'm trying to say about my own tribal identity specifically and maybe have a greater conversation with other natives about our tribal identity. Mm-hmm. It's pretty contemporary, you know, so I'm yeah. really trying to like rake stereotypes of um, Indian photography. You know, I, I started out making Curtis prints, absolutely. You know, it was photo documentary, it was sepia toned, it was. Um, it was just what Indian photography was at the time and now I really try and never do that not because it's (laughs) wrong but because um, I think that I have this ability to say something different and I need to focus on that so I find it uh, I find it appropriate in this setting so photography is such an interesting um, medium in my opinion because you are by default documenting it in a way and you do have the opportunity to um almost like create a like a fiction of what you would want indigenous people to be and it seems like you're you're kind of 
treading that line of creating creating a context for for future generations to look back on and be like oh those cats were edgy yeah (laughs) and can you talk about the the like the content that you use that is edgy and provocative just how how you find a way to navigate that yeah well I really love um when I was pushing to do the um, figurative pieces uh, with women, it was something that I was always really excited by and that I loved in art. And uh, there was a lot of lowbrow stuff out there um, that was painful to look at. As a photographer, it was like, ugh. And I, I could just tell that they were taken by non-native men, you know, or mm. men in general. And it started with a conversation around the house between Diego and I. And we were looking at, he's like, oh, come look at these um, these illustrations. And so we were looking at these illustrations and I was like, ah, those are done by a man of a woman, right? You know, they're like, you know, just unrealistic breasts and, you know, like a a lack of body fat, you know? And I said, now look at a woman artist, draw a woman and look at a woman artist, draw a man. And so we came to this like artistic truth that maybe women can draw women better and men can draw men better, right? (laughs) And so I really wanted to do the figurative piece like by a native woman about a native woman. And um, it was really important to me to like respond because everywhere that you looked in social media and in press, it was just like these really exploitive pictures either of Indian women, like lowbrow stuff, or it was pictures of white women in Indian regalia being sexy. And both of them were nauseating to me. And I was like, how do we do this? Like, we're so fucking strong and powerful and archetypal. Like, where is that in the artwork, you know? And so that's where I really set out to start in the figurative pieces was like, how do I show the earth goddesses that we are, you know? And how do I make them perhaps Indian? You know, and so that was kind of where that really iconic piece started. And uh, it was about empowerment and it was about stance and it was about our connection to Mother Earth. And it was about our bodies and about our birth, you know, rights. And um, that was also an editorial portrait about that girl that uh, modeled for it because uh, she was kind of an exhibitionist. And she was an urban Indian, and that was not a traditional Diné woman that posed for it. So in that sense, you know, it was talking about our tribal identities are different, you know, and that it's okay for some of us to be, you know, a little more hypersexual than others, and maybe from an urban background, and we want to show off our bodies, but me as a maternal, like, kind of, you know, powerful Native woman, like, how do I protect her from exploitation and show her that it's okay to be sexy and beautiful, you know, but at the same time be super respectful, you know, to our culture. So it's a fine line, that's for damn sure, you know, and I'm sure I pissed off some people, but that's really where it came from, and it was really heartfelt and really well thought out. And so that was the best I could do, and I wanted it to be a go-to place for how do we do this right, and not always just like looking at people doing it wrong. <laughs> so, and I'm not done with that, that body of work. Like I'll do more, you know, for sure about empowering native women, you know, and, and letting us reclaim our sexuality and our bodies and our, our, our just feminine mystique. And I really love that, um, that archetypal, you know, there's so much more to say than just those two pieces that I've done. So. 
I think what struck me about that piece too, and it, it's not, I'm not batting 100% anymore, but um, all women bought it. I always, I, I get kind of choked up thinking about it, but that's like, like all women bought it. You know, Indian women, you know, non-native women, it spoke to all of them about, you know, this is, this is a beautiful thing that we have, you know. Can you just really briefly describe what the piece is so people who might have never seen it can understand what we're talking about? Sure. So um, it is a, a, a Dene girl, and she is in front of a antique Navajo blanket, and her hair is braided, and she's squatting um, almost in a traditional squat of giving birth but her feet are outturned, so the moccasins are really the focal point. She's got full-length moccasins and nothing else, and her hands are striking the earth in front of her in this like squatting birth stance, and her braids are hanging down to the floor, and uh, all of the colors are earth tones, and her braids match the crazy eyes of the Navajo blanket and uh, we bronzed her up so that she's brown and the blanket's brown and the moccasins are brown so it's just really like this really cool earth mother it's a square format um, I think the full-size piece is about 45 inches by 45 inches big and it's a big square <laughs> Did you grow up in a traditional way, um, in touch with your culture in that way? Yes, I think so. I, um, I think that each of our tribes have a unique place of where they are in culture and tradition. And I think that that's important to remind our youth that whether they're in the city or they're on the res, if they're not like they were 200 years ago, that that's okay and culturally appropriate <laughs> and perhaps traditional. Um, so I would say, like, by regular standards, no, not traditional, you know. But by uh, contemporary standards, it's a pretty typical res. I grew up, you know, running the streets of a village of about 77 homes with no locks on the doors and no curfew and we ran to the river and we were barefoot and um, we had big fish fries and community dinners and big tribal celebrations and, and that sort of thing. We weren't language speakers from our family and I didn't learn to dance and uh, participate in ceremony till later in life, which is perfectly normal in mm -hmm. my tribe. And uh, so, yeah. So, yes and no. Traditional is such a weird term. Yeah. And I, I always find myself choked up on, like, asking a question like that. Because, yeah, what what does traditional even mean today? <laughs> yeah. So, um, I mean, we were disbanded and we went through a lot of historical traumas. That means that we weren't as, we're not as traditional or culturally intact as, like, the Pueblos of Santa Fe. That, you know, I'm just in awe of when I go down and watch their dances and married to one so I know all of their beautiful pieces and components of their culture that are intact and all the sacrifices that they've made to keep that all intact um at the same time like it's just amazing that chin wavies are still fucking here <laughs> you know like 
<laughs> I'm just like, I'm just in awe of like every kid out there, you know, and uh, every single one of us that's still born and still surviving and still singing the songs and, you know, like surviving those Mojave summers with like this intimate knowledge of that land base. And it's my source, you know, and so, yeah, we're like totally tied to the desert and we're um, like from the hottest place in the United States and we love it you know, and we love everything that that is. And Are you connected with your family in an artistic way? Is any of your family artists? I'd say I'm most connected to my brother, who is um, an artist and a musician. Uh, and uh, we kind of raised ourselves. And, um, and uh, so yeah, I really relied on him heaven- heavily heavenly heavily both and uh, it's kind of a salvation for me growing up I don't know what I would have done if I didn't have him um and then my father is just he's just this wild Indian that lives by no man's law and he's an absolute like philosopher and uh just has lived life on his own terms and is absolutely an artist uh and so I think those two probably have influenced me the most in that aspect. So is there any woman in your life who you have looked up to as an artist or admired or been influenced by? Because you, you seem to talk about all these people who have influ- influenced you and they've been males and then your work is so female and strong. So I'm wondering where that thread comes from. Let's see. I enjoyed beating up boys when I was younger. (laughs) I uh, was an athlete and really enjoyed like dominating situations, especially with boys. And I consider myself an equal. And uh, my grandmother's kind of that way. So it's kind of getting back to, yeah, my grandma is my total hero. And um, just was raised to feel absolutely an equal. And uh, Mm -hmm. I think that comes through in my artwork that... Mm -hmm. I just won't back down, you know. I, yeah. I don't like to be interrupted. I don't like things explained to me. You know? <laughs> like, I'm like a really powerful tomboy, you know, that still likes to, you know, go to toe, go toe-to-toe with the boys. And um, so, yeah, I think that that strength comes a lot from myself. Um, mm. And just, uh, I have a certain amount. I mean, I, I wouldn't say I'm androgynous, but there's a certain amount of androgyny to me, you know, that... I consider myself, you know, quite masculine and very, like, you know, able to stand my own. And I guess traditionally I think about it sometimes, like the traditional Chimwevi woman, we fought alongside the men. Like mm. we were warriors also, you know, so we have kind of like that that shield maiden type attitude, you know. Yeah, we're like really powerful stock, you mm. know. So. I think it's really interesting that you have so many strong men in your life, you know, because it's not like you look up to them, but it's like you just need to be surrounded by badass. <laughs> Maybe. I, don't know. I like that. Uh, if you ask Diego, he loves a strong woman, you know. I mean, he really does. He's, there's no doubt about that. And uh, it sets you apart. I mean, it makes it harder to find a partner at the same time. Like, you have to, it has to, it takes a man that likes a strong woman. Mm hmm. You know, that's not intimidated by a strong woman. (laughs) Which probably, I mean, if you did a study, would probably be like artists. (laughs) 
So you work um, in a project that's not related to your art, and then you're a mother. Can you talk about balancing all of these worlds and how you stay alive <laughs> and sustain yeah. yourself and yeah. what your other projects are? Well, I used to think about it and get depressed and think, oh, I'm not a full-time artist. And then I had this thought that um, perhaps it takes all of them to be the artist that I am. And that maybe everything jives off of each other. Mm. And uh, and so, no, I never have enough time because of the kids and you know their regular job. But at the same time, they're all feeding into the creative process. And... Um, Art is surviving too, and uh, you find a way to create within your means, whether it's financially or um, the medium that you have available to you. And so my process has evolved with um, my capacity, my financial situation, my work pressure, my mom pressure, that sort of thing. So now I find myself really wrapped up in the concept and uh, the studying of how I'm going to execute because the, the execution of the shoot, you know, is where I got to find babysitters and take time off of work and that sort of thing. So I'm really like wrapped up in the thought and my process is really in my head for a long time, which is not the way it once was. The way it once was is I walked around with my camera everywhere and I edited all the time and you know, that sort of thing. But now it's not that way. I very, very, I only pick up my camera when it's time to execute you know and uh that's I, amazing yeah and so um and then you know my editing my post-production is in the wee hours of the night you know I'm drinking coffee when all the world is going to bed including the babies and that's when I feel like all of the spinning in my head winds down and all of my responsibilities are taken care of and I have the ability to see right creatively and uh, I don't think you can see creatively unless you can turn all of those other things off and really be with that pure purity of what art is so I find those moments and I steal them and I take them and I strike when the time is ready is kind of how it is now but um, I also think that they all jive off of each other so the environmental and nonprofit work is really feeding into what I'm doing paying attention to what's going on in um, contemporary indigenous life uh, current events social events um, is really important to my artwork and it's really informing my artwork like never before and then I have to do the art to stay healthy for my kids mm -hmm. and so that becomes a must and so there's just no, nothing's giving in. Like I can't give in on any of it right now. So I just keep trucking along. And my grandmother would say, well, the kids are little, you're in the thick of it, you know? And I'm certainly in the thick of it. Like right now it's kind of manic. And I wonder at times what the hell I'm doing, you know, trying to do so much, but it's all working. It all wants to be happening. And uh, so, yeah, it's a good place to be. I'm thankful. Do you have any um, tricks or tips um, for people out there who are trying to keep their head above water in balancing so many things as an artist of, like you mentioned coffee and staying up at night, but is there things that you've learned that really like set your soul into the creative space quickly <laughs> so that you can 
you can get it done. I think self-imposed deadlines are really important to me and I think everybody's kind of got their own rhythm like in this universe like there's the steady heartbeat you know and then there's these people with these wild like roller coasters of energy and I'm probably more like a roller coaster of energy where I have like big swings of mania you know and it's closer to the deadline you know which I think a lot of artists have and I think it's okay to not be hard on yourself about that but um so for me the deadlines of the shows are really important like committing yourself I really don't think that I would have the strength you know uh, unless I had committed myself to my community and I consider like Indian art market whether it's heard or swaya they're six months apart those are the two big shows that I'm doing and then the af you know the the aftermath of those shows end up in the gallery basically but those are my two things that I'm working for you know all year long and uh, and so those self-imposed deadlines they make me get to work they make me create new pieces for those shows and really like for my community to be part of that community I'm like so honored to be part of the Indian art community you know those are the people that I've looked up to you know my whole life and all of a sudden I'm you know um, I, I've I've made it to a place where I'm really proud of myself and and pushed through until I was really good you know um, so yeah I think self-imposed deadlines are really good I think uh, taking it easy on yourself and letting some things go like housework <laughs> that was really hard Seriously. for me um, letting some things go that maybe you otherwise wouldn't have you know in order to you know pick what's the most important art's like really the most soulful for me so I let some other things go you know my truck's a mess my house is a mess it never used to be that way um, the kids don't care you no know? I leave the dishes for a day you know, sometimes I leave them for three days when I'm editing. I'm just like, put on headphones, ignore the world, uh, you know, <laughs> a part of me that drives me crazy, you know, like I, I can't live like this, you know, <laughs> the squalor, no, but I just like, it, you know, that's what's got to happen for the art, you know. I, uh, yeah, a lot of people do that who aren't even artists. Yeah. I mean, I mean, who, who aren't even mothers. Yeah. <laughs> or artists. <laughs> well, I guess for me it was like harder to let go of that part. Um, yeah. So what other tricks? Uh, really making sure that you're getting to a place where that you're not worrying about anything. Like you have to carve out the hours where you don't have to have the kids. I mean, to to get into that creative space is like a hard to attain area of the brain and the spirit, and so you can't be worried about what time it is. You can't be worried about the kids. Uh, and where they are and what they're doing. You can't be worried about the bills that are due. You can't be worried about anything, you know, other than the art. So you have to find those hours. And, um, and sometimes uh, you have to execute when you have them, you know, if you're a mom juggling a lot. But women are amazing. Like <laughs> women are, we're like multitaskers, right? You know? Like, you know, you can sit and you can be with that and you could say, man, I never have enough time to do just artwork. But really, if I had time to just do artwork all day, I don't even know if I'd be doing it. You know, like maybe it takes all of this pressure. intense things going on everywhere for me to like channel it all uh, and, you know, connect to the socket for, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs>
you have an artist who's a contemporary that you are totally like swooning over or influenced by or admiring right now um, and why? Yeah, Annie Leibovitz. I mean, hands down, I know that she's a really um, uh, iconic photographer in the world right now, but I really think that what she does for mainstream culture is what I want to do for native culture. And uh, I love her color and I love her format and I love um, the voice and the thread and the narrative and the storytelling that comes through the photography. So I would say, yeah, I lean really heavily on, on her work. I mean, there's so many other photographers also, um, but yeah. Do you think the indigenous community is ready for that? Yeah, I think so. I think we're really like enveloping all of our photographers. You know, it's when I started out 15 years ago, my first market, there were like two or three of us, you know, wow, doing film and a couple color artists, you know, and now there's like 20 or 30, you know, and that's a really big deal to me. And I think all of the voices are really important. You know, they're all covering like different tastes and different voices from Indian country and that diverse, like tribal identity that's out there. So, um, yeah, I think that they're definitely ready for the contemporary, like editorial content, you know, that I'm working on and I'm getting great feedback from the other photographers and my community. And uh, I'm really looking at them. I just had this epiphany the other day where. I don't know why I wouldn't have thought of it before, but they're almost um, becoming paintings because I'm doing so much post-production work on them and really like collaging pieces together and it's gone very digital. I've had this whole like world open up to me. Um, even though I knew Photoshop for years and was a Photoshop nerd, I'm like painting with Photoshop and they're still very much looking like photographs. Yeah, they're still looking like seamless photographs, but they're really like totally in fantasy yet their editorial you know documentary pieces so they're really like kind of just fusing all of these different backgrounds together and I thought like instead of just looking at other photographers work I'm like gonna look at other painters you know which is seems so silly I mean I look at other painters work but I don't look at painters work to like influence my own and I was just telling Mateo I was like let's go see some paintings I'm ready to go see some paintings <laughs> So he's like, I'll take you to see some paintings. I was like, yeah. <laughs> like I need to like expand my thinking there and seeing like, because the underwater piece, it was like painterly. Like if you see the way the backgrounds all came together and maybe even the use of color and some of the other ones and the lighting. And I don't know why I didn't know that that's what I was doing. But now, like, like I said, literally like three days ago, I had this epiphany where like last night I'm like looking at... <laughs> paintings online <laughs> a whole new world of resource material you know and, that's fantastic and, uh, yeah. though so maybe next time we do it you say what painters are influencing you because i would have a totally different answer <laughs> who knows where you're gonna go that's really cool it's kind of like a tipping point has just happened it really has yeah what do you see for yourself in the future as artist do you think you would actually become a painter or are you going to stick on to the digital realm? I paint with lights is really what I do. Mm. Everything that you see, even though I might be stitching some photographs together, comes from my professional lighting and, you know, um, professional training in 
capturing it in camera. Um, you could never do in Photoshop what I've done in the camera already. I'm able to do in Photoshop because the the material's already there. Mm. And uh, so I'll always, photography will always be my medium. Mm. Um, I love, I, I fantasize and, and romanticize about the idea of being in the dark room again, but that's something that went by the wayside as a mom, you know, and uh, you don't get to go away for 36 hours <laughs> into the dark darkness of a dark room and forget about life anymore, <gasps> which is, I love the mad science of those years, you know, it was really like, um, it was some of the best times of my life, you know, best friends in my life were in the dark room, you know, all night, you know, hours and hours listening to music. But so I, I fantasize about getting back to that, you know, maybe when the kids are, are grown, but always photography, maybe bigger format, bigger lights, you know, more painting in the camera, more set design, more, more of like that, like staging, you know, element. I, yeah. I think I really just begin, begun to scratch the surface. Like I'm still balling on a budget, you know, as far as, um, some of the sets that I've built, built and the, the places that I've scouted out to use have been great, you know, but, um, they could be better, right? Yeah, that's you know? exciting though. I'm like excited I mean, for you. <laughs> I mean, my underwater shoot was, uh, it was in the hotel pool, right? You know, like, I mean, it was crazy. It, I, but I don't have access to like big, you know, huge, like LA studios where they probably do these things, you know? And, uh, what was that like? Were you guys just all underwater, like holding your, I mean, how did you, how did you end up executing it with the models and everything? It was crazy. So I, I had this idea that it was going to be seawater. Like I knew the color of the water and how I wanted it to look really dark and ethereal, right? Like the flood has happened and that this is dark and haunting and um none of the lakes have the clarity around here and uh i went online to research the house like you put your camera inside housing and there's special underwater lights and so i was like i can figure that out i'm enough of a photography nerd now that i'm like i can figure out how to use this housing and um but then when I started to talk to, I, I researched, I mean, I talked to, you know, friends that had scuba dived and I talked, you know, is it possible to just hold my breath? And they're like, <laughs> no, <laughs> you're going to have to. <laughs> so, so I found the only scuba diving instructor here in Santa Fe and I called him up and I was like, hey, <laughs> do you want to help me like tandem dive this is what I need and he said hmm sounds interesting he was not the first scuba diving guy I talked to he was like the third and so he came out and he helped me you know for a small fee every day and uh, he's a scuba diving instructor he actually showed up and gave me my own scuba gear and taught me how to use it that morning and uh, I tried several pools around town to see if I could use their deep end and this sort of thing and no response and finally I was telling Diego I was like I can't find a pool I was almost in tears about it and he was like why don't you pull over into the El Rey Inn they have a pool sure enough we pulled in that afternoon it's like two blocks from my house the whole time I said, can I use your pool it wasn't ideal you know I didn't think but it was I mean all of these things just worked out so I used the hotel pool they were peculiar about it they were like what are you gonna do <laughs> <laughs> how many people are going to be with you? you know? <laughs> so I had to like really smooth talk the, the general manager over there. And um, 
we just showed up with some scuba gear and you know the the tourists here love it though and Santa Fe is not like any stranger to crazy artists you know doing crazy things on the street corners so in the name of art right so <laughs> so it all worked out anyway <laughs> it's funny um and they were they're magnificent you know like I, I'll always look back you know and I'm I'm only assuming that the photography career is going to get bigger and there's going to be more money for capital and investing in these big shoots that was the the most I've ever invested in a in a photography shoot it was kind of like nerve-wracking for me but I thought no this is really what I want to do you know I really want to invest in myself and love this piece and I really think that this is important How do you deal with fear? Um, I guess I just swallow the lump in my throat Mm -hmm. and uh, I concentrate on my breathing and I've had several really frightening moments that took a great amount of courage. Um, Some of the most courageous were actually doing cultural work with the kids back home and uh, learning at an older age some things that I should have learned when I was younger. And uh, I was learning to bird dance and I was 20 something years old. And I was there with young girls that were scared to get out there and try. And I sat down with an elder and she talked to me about bird dancing competitions and these bird dancing competitions are for young girls. Bird dancing used to never be a competition at all. It was just about singing and dancing to, you know, Southern California gourd music. And uh, all of a sudden they started these competitions and she was out there at Morongo and she was watching all of these girls dance and they were having a tap out competition and she thought they were all right. And she got up there and she decided to dance because she was feeling that music and she was in her early 60s and everybody started to laugh at her Mm. and everybody started to make fun of her and they teased her oh Waletta you shouldn't have been doing that you shouldn't have been doing this and she was telling me this story because I was in a moment of great humility and fear and don't really think I wanted to be doing what I was doing but I was doing it for the kids and she said I didn't care. I knew in that moment that whatever I was doing was between me and Creator, and it didn't matter what anybody else thought about what I was doing. And so I just really hold on to that, and I really feel that all the time. Like, it doesn't matter what anybody thinks. It's really between me and Creator. And, you know, everybody has their own dialogue, and they know what's right, and when they're supposed to overcome fear, you know, that sort of thing. So I think that that's what I think about Um, and I think about repair I think that um, I'm like the least likely to succeed sometimes where I'm from I think a lot of natives feel that way and so I feel like just repairing all of that damage and saying like I I'm gonna love myself and I'm gonna um, love myself so much I'm gonna grow 
and I'm going to regenerate and I, I'm done hurting myself, which was, you know, the first 30 years of my life. I, I hurt myself and I didn't love myself, but now I'm just have so much love to give. I'm starting to grow back, you know, and so I think people have to push through. If you could change one thing about the human experience, what would it be? I hate to get so wrapped up inside my own head, but I think it does have to do with um, speaking to other natives for me, like from the res. It's about uh, self-love. I think my human experience is an Indian one, you know, from a pretty hardcore res. So I'll just say it. I think sobriety, you know, I think that we're hurting ourselves. I think that we have... um, mental health problems and historical traumas that nobody's paying attention to and uh, me by a few strokes of luck um, and uh, a blessed path have been able to overcome a lot but I think about all of my cousins and my brothers and sisters out there that are forgotten you know and um, I would like to change that experience and give them self-love and sobriety and help with addiction and uh, like a really powerful tribal identity you know that they know that um, that that source that sacred role that they're carrying that seed inside of them is still alive that these things aren't dead they're just dormant and we can bring them back to life you know I think that's kind of where I am in life um, pushing through that fear to be a leader I think is really courageous I think uh, evil prevails when good men and women do nothing you know? so I think it's really important when you have a good heart and uh, that you have to use it for good and to encourage and to kind of open your wings for the less fortunate you know, and make sure that they're not um, hurting Can you think of a an experience that you had that was like a game changer or an interaction or something somebody said to you that like really opened yourself up to your art so I go back to um, obviously addiction and sobriety is a big theme in my life and I think that that's okay to talk about maybe there's other artists out there grappling with addiction um, I I got sober and uh, I got clean and sober and I stayed on that path and not a year into it did I feel better. Um, the whole while I had been doing art but it was like alright, it was always half-assed, it was always, you know, there's some pain behind it, it was not a complete thought, it was not created by a soul that was complete. And so then about two years into my sobriety, like all of the synapses and neurons started firing again. And um, I had learned how to spend my time um, not being wasted. And uh, I had spent, gee, 20 years, you know, under the influence and it had caught up with me um, and my, my creative cycle and my thinking process and my arrested development, all of those things. And so about two years into it, things just, you know, manifested. My ideas worked, um, my technical skills 
blossomed um, my love life, my children, my health, everything. Uh, and um, the more I loved myself, the larger I became. And the artwork was a direct representation of that. Um, a direct representation of my health and uh, I guess you know Diego has really helped me there's absolutely nothing in my mind that doesn't make me know with my heart of hearts that he um, he helped me love myself and become the artist that I am Mateo too um, they encouraged me in a way that I had never been encouraged before and uh, encouraged me to invest in myself and to believe in myself and critiqued and made it fun again and um, so yeah so I think that sobriety and love had a lot to do with uh, this kick-ass new life that I have you know is there any advice that you could offer to other artists out there that are listening from around the world, any little seeds of knowledge that you could drop in this way um, from your perspective as an indigenous woman? I think to push through uh, is really important as an artist um, and push through student work. was That was a really painful push for me because I ended up with a portfolio that I wasn't representative of my own heart and soul and so it took me another decade to create my own portfolio but I look back and I realize um, that all of those technical skills that I gained influence my artwork you know I understand lighting and I understand um, when to make the choice between a, a, a fine art or a very traditional you know, choice in lighting, you know, whether you want to be dramatic or um, have high contrast and what that effect has, you know, I wouldn't have known unless I had done wedding pictures, you know, <laughs> or, or like just funny stuff like that, you know, I, the, while I cursed, you know, my instructor, oh, I hate this, you know, and now I'm like, huh, now I know, you know, that each of their lights needs to have a little twinkle of light source in them for them to come alive and be human to the viewer, and, um, you know, so yeah, I think, like, pushing through student work and really valuing all of that artwork that just seems to, like, go in the trash, I mean, I, like, yeah, like, sketches, and you think you're gonna save all of it, you know, but it's just, yeah. like, piles of, you know, newsprint and figurative drawings, you know, of like, you know, the worst models, and you're like, ah, curse this work, you know, <laughs> but it all really informs, like, who you're becoming, you know, and so you're growing, and uh, you have to give yourself years, it's not, like, even if you're talented, and you're the artist that knows where to put the line, like, it still takes some time, you know, and you have to give yourself that time to, like, become that, that person that you're gonna, that you're gonna be, and, um, from an indigenous perspective, I'd say uh, we all have it, you know, like indigenous people are artists. We look at the world in a different way and we see beauty in everything and we're tied to uh, often the mediums that we're using 
I mean, photography is not the only type of artwork that I do. You know, you'll, you'll hear that a thousand times, I'm sure, in these interviews that, you know, we're putting our hands in clay and we're stripping willow to make things and we're sewing regalia and we're beading shells and we're touching these objects of our ancestors, you know, and we're talking to our ancestors through all of those. And I think um, don't underestimate the magic in touching your ancestors and talking to your ancestors like pick up those shells and rub them like I literally have shells in my pocket right now that I walk around with because I feel like like that's who I am like you're connected to those shells from California and um, you know when I pick up the willow and and put it in my mouth like I know that that's an old conversation that needs to be had and that some line of my health but my the culture's health is kept intact by touching all of those things with your hand and talking to them so yeah touch it all get dirty you know <laughs> <laughs> and 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 just keep doing it you know i love that andy warhol you know he's like um make art make lots of it let him and while they're deciding if it's good or bad make more you know so <laughs> i just love it <laughs> Oh,